Welcome to the J.P. Morgan Weekender. I'm Bruce Kasman. With me this week, Joe Lupton. Hey, Joe. Hey, Bruce. How's it down there in Thanks. South America? It's warm, except in the hotel, which it's very cold. Which looks which looks cold. <laughs> uh, right now, I'm, I'm actually freezing a bit, but let's let's get to the conversation here. I guess where I'm kind of coming at in my own thinking as we end the week is with this notion of observational equivalence, which is, you know, if we're not debating any longer whether the world is about to break, we are debating about whether it's on a path to have a sustainable expansion where central banks can take their feet off the brake, or whether we're sort of gradually building problems in the system that will cause uh, a recession, a break at some point uh, as we move through forward to the next six, 12 months or so. And, you know, the, the markets have clearly gotten more uh, optimistic about that soft landing central bank easing story. Um, the data flow, I think, does provide some support for optimism, but it seems to me right now we're still in a world in which it's very hard, I think, to be too cocky and confident about which of those two paths we're gonna we're gonna follow. So there's obviously both inflation and growth news to to process with this uh, on the week. Um, why don't you jump in wherever you feel most comfortable? Well, I mean, I think you 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 kind of hit the nail on the head where where it feels a little bit, or at least you'd be forgiven for thinking this was a bit of a Goldilocks week in the in the sense that you had um, inflation in the U.S. coming in with a downside surprise. And I, and I think we should unpack that number because I think there are reasons to not think it was as, as, as good as what maybe people want to interpret it. But nonetheless, the, the, the first order view of the inflation report was um, constructive and coming in softer than people had expected and, and softer than we had expected. Um, at the same time, on the, on the growth side, you had a, a, a retail sales report which was truly Goldilocks in the sense of being not too not too soft, uh, you know, with the control number that was still expanding, uh, but also not too strong, right? It it was moderating, and I uh, I think that kind of has a Goldilocks feel to it. Um, you all had some positive readings on on housing, which I, I'm guessing is just uh, the 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 last gasp before we see some slowdown given the movement up in mortgage rates. Um, I will say on the growth side, Bruce, for the U.S., if you want to, I don't even think we're out of the woods in terms of uh, the, at least the risks of a nearer term recession, which we don't put at zero at this point, if we're talking about uh, you know the first half of next year. And you did have that move up in claims that is starting to, you know, if, if, if you wanted to focus on that, you could be, you could be worried about that. So it's a bit of something for everyone, but I think the broad sweep of this had this Goldilocks feel to it. Uh, I just think you're 100% right that uh, it's it's too early to tell. And since the start of the year, we've been talking about this notion of the observational equivalence between a world of a soft landing and a world that is uh, you know, coming in for a landing that might be rougher than, than uh, people are expecting. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I come out. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's you know, worthwhile to kind of go into one week's movements and claims. There are some issues on labor markets, but let's leave that for the time being. I right. think the inflation right. news is is interesting and, and important. Uh, as you noted, it did come in a bit lower than we expected. 
um, you know, I'm I'm certainly struck by the idea that even with that, we are seeing some firming into the latter part of the year. There's just a lot of noisy components. And when you break up the things that are, and the three month run rates at three, four, which is uh, certainly still elevated. Um, but I'm also well, struck by the fact that- is what, just shy of five, uh, which I yeah, know is noisy and it's got idiosyncratic components, but I mean, this is the game of slicing and dicing. If you take out everything you don't want to look at, then, um, I suppose you'll get the the CPI report you do want to look at. Well, yeah, I think I think where you slice and dice is important, and I think Supercore is is actually not a constructive slice at this point. I do think I think probably more what, importantly are these sticky measures like the Atlanta Fed measure. That's the, my point. I think if you what you're seeing are trending you, up, right? Well, I think if you're looking at it from that lens, what you see is that there's significant deflation in the volatile measures. Um, and there's still stickiness, and as you said, uh, actually some upward pressure in the more inertial uh, measures as we look at our three-month run rate basis, which raises an interesting question, which is the the sticky stuff has a heavy weight on on shelter, and there is reasons to think that's going to come off. And then the question is, what happens to the volatiles? What happens to the used car prices, the air, airline fares? Uh, the housing away from home, and more fundamentally, the the still other, weakness other core in core services. goods in core goods that we see here that have been very low. To what degree do those things stay in place? I think one of the interesting features of recent performance is that we're not looking like we're getting follow through on that very very brief recovery in manufacturing that we had expected. There's a lot of excess capacity in China, possibly even in Germany. You know, what degree is there going to be more uh, sustained uh, weakness in core goods prices? Because, you know, when you break those up, those are the volatiles. And I think there's normally reasons when you see that stuff move sharply lower to think it's going to reverse pretty quickly. And if it does, yeah, I mean, that's going where, to be a problem. Yeah, this is but, where I feel like things are becoming um, a little too much of a a good thing or a disinflationary thing on the good side. Because I, I, I do believe the goods activity part of the equation is something that I've been saying has been worrying me for about six weeks now. And every week I come in and say it's, it's looking a little bit more worrying, right? I mean, as, as we're rolling up retail sales globally, this, uh, this as we did for September, um, you know, things look very soft on on the retail sales side of things i think if you look at uh, the capex side of things continues to look like outright contraction uh and if you're telling me final goods spending is not really doing anything and if you tell me that all of the lift that brief lift we have in manufacturing is driven almost entirely by an inventory correction that's going to be very short-lived and uh you know, we still stand by the fact that the fundamentals are there. We think things, if it's not broke, don't doubt it. I think if you're not breaking into recession, then I think the goods sector will come back to life. You can look at the tech sector, which is promoting some of the EM Asia X China part of the equation. And that is usually some type of leading indicator. So there are things to hang your hat on. But yeah, boy, the, the good sector is a is a is a sore point for me on the on the growth side of things, even if it is giving us this disinflationary impulse on the on the um, inflation side of it. Right. But I'm I'm focusing right now and we can get into the the risks on the on the activity side is that 
things are soft, soft, softening as we end the third quarter after a little bit of a lift. There's a lot of excess capacity out there. That's that's a element that could preserve goods price deflation here longer and 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 continue to keep uh, more downward pressure. Yeah. That to me is something. So could a recession. <laughs> yeah, so right? certainly, but that's not what I'm thinking is the most likely yeah, scenario I know. here. I know. So, uh, yeah. so that I think is uh, an interesting wrinkle as you. Try to think about the sticky versus flexible pieces of the of the pricing space, and then you obviously um, you know get into this issue of where central banks are in terms of their processing. There's no new real new information here this week on on the central bank side, but I do think, as you say, they're going to be cautious as we are in terms of being still um, cognizant of the fact that inflation is elevated. And, you know, even with the better news this week, the run rate on core in the U.S. has moved up a little bit. Um, I do think at the same time, things I would bet would be more sharply on the downside here uh, as we look at the European economy, because I think as, as, as we wrote in a piece this week, um, the consumers just continues to be dead in the water here. Um, and I think that's a, an impulse that probably is far more powerful than the weakness in European supply that has kept labor. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that poses, definitely ex post what we've seen as weakness. I think you could take either side of that, right? There is a potential upside that if uh, the consumers there wake up, there's resources there to uh, to, to tap into, which is the point of the, the piece we put out. Uh, but I think the concern would be that if this weakness continues, the the part of the equation that has been holding things up in Europe from breaking, which is a business sector that continued to hire, a business sector that continued to invest, uh, that that just caves and you get an outright recession. And yeah, I think you and I certainly would put the risk skewing a bit more towards uh, something something breaking there. So I, I have to say around this conversation, we're talking about um... How do you interpret the soft landing versus the boiling the frog story? And there's definitely a lot we're talking about here in reading the data. Uh, I actually think the more surprising thing that's happened in the last couple of weeks is financial markets. Uh, how much yeah. the market is embracing both Fed easing and and more positive news on growth. At least certainly the uh, the equity market is is suggesting that. Um, and then alongside that, we've had a pretty decent move down in in, in crude oil prices. So there's a yeah. a positive yeah. swing here that's happened in in in, in financial markets. Ten year yields have rallied a, a chunk as well, which you know doesn't after everything we've just said. I just don't see the data as warranting that big a, a well, movement I, yeah, here. Right. I I I, yeah. I would want to distinguish the oil move from the other market moves because I think the oil move is more fundamentally driven of a, a world with a lot more supply than uh, many had expected. Not not our, our our commodities analyst Natasha, who's been bang on all, all year, uh, but uh, good for her. But uh, um, I I think I take that as legit, and I take that as actually a real positive going into the holiday shopping season for consumers. So. You're right. I should have that. That kind of makes me. Feel and that's a Im about that's this. important to just recognize in the CPI report. We've been focused on the core, but the fact after pretty big headline gains for energy reasons in August and September, we had a, a flat October. And I think we're probably going to be on track for a negative headline reading in November, which, as you say, is is going to be a, 
a positive support for growth here. So uh, yeah. it's, it's important now, to get the that, that point across. The, the financial market moves are, you're, you're right, a little, um, a little, a little befuddling. I mean, you can see as we started this by saying it, you, you, if you wore the right glasses, you could see the Goldilocks, uh, the Goldilocks story in some of this data. So you see why the data, the markets are responding the way they are. Uh, however, I think when you dissect the data carefully, like we are kind of prone to do, I think this observational equivalence, there's enough things to worry about on the inflation side. Uh, I think the Fed also looks at the data carefully. And that is why I would suggest that I think you're going to get some, some real pushback on the, the, the market views that are creeping in of, uh, of an early Fed hike, which would be something in the first half of next year. My guess is the rhetoric's gonna turn fairly hawkish uh, against that. And, and so you'll, you'll get some backup uh, as those get taken out in response to some of that, uh, uh, that rhetoric. And if we're right in the data flow, I think you'll see the inflation numbers looking a little bit more sticky uh, in, the, in the coming month or two here. Well, at the, at the minimum, as we know, Chair Powell was emphasizing the the rise in yields and the tightening in financial conditions as doing some of the Fed's work. Well, the markets have basically taken out some yeah, of that taken work. Yeah, it all so, out. So the Fed has to obviously respond to to that. Oh, there's no doubt. Um, if you go before the FOMC, the last FOMC meeting, when people were, and, and maybe not a lot, but certainly I was, I think you were, saying that December was a very live meeting for a potential hike, given the inflation news we were getting. And then that got blown out of the water by the FOMC meeting, where their main reason was financial conditions doing the work for them. If you take that off the table, you're back to where you were, where December should have been a live meeting again. And yet the markets have gone like, well, run away I don't think December is a live good. meeting anyway. <laughs> to but... a dead meeting. <laughs> well, no, it's going to be a very interesting meeting because we're going to have the Fed re-estimate re or, or refresh there. Oh, no, no, I, I think it will be. I'm saying the market interpretation of December meeting right now is that it's like it's gone. There's nothing priced in for December, right? I don't, I don't know what it's done. Yeah, and I, don't, I think that's fair. No, I, that's my point. I don't think it's about December. I think it's about guidance and how yeah, they talk fair to enough. us fair enough. through the forecast yeah. and yeah. through the for first half the, of the year, I think is needs to be taken out. But that's my my view. Yeah. So let's finish. I think, you know, the. Um, the, the manufacturing sector story is, a, is part of the China story, but it's not the entirety of the China story. Um, I think I think what's interesting about China is, in my mind, how we're now talking about reasonably marginal things here, which is to say the numbers are mixed. There's a lot of different ways to interpret it. I'd say there's a heck of a lot of important question to ask about where China is going to be in 12 months time or 18 months time. But it feels to me like having said that, if we're talking about China because we care about the global economy, there's just not that much action there that really gets me either too excited or too worried. Beyond the, the disinflationary impulse that I think is going to continue to be there, because what we saw in this week's October data was more of the same in the sense of pretty robust industrial production, uh, factory output, but lukewarm uh, domestic demand data. Uh, and I think that does suggest you're going to have this kind of supply of goods in the world um, that is going to be pushing prices down, continuing to push prices down. I also, for what it's worth, I've said this on this call before, I think it's going to weigh on production in China 
uh, next year, early next year. I think there's downside risks from that. I think the concerns around the private sector just not investing is a serious concern. Uh, and I think you say what's more interesting is where's China going to be in 12 months. I, I think what's becoming more and more interesting is where's China going to be in 12 years. Um, because I, I, not that we're going to open that conversation. Where are we going to be call? in 12 years? Where are right. we gonna yeah, be exactly. Years, yeah. No, but I, I just think there was a view that China was going to be the largest economy in the world, but uh, for an economy whose potential growth is slowing rapidly and is in deflation, you're not getting a lot of nominal GDP growth to do the catch up that you think you want to do there. Uh, and it's yeah. probably no surprise that the meeting between Biden and Xi this week um, actually had some, you know, they didn't do that much, but you did have some constructive outcomes there, partly because I think China has less of a heavy hand to play, uh, given the, the weakness that they're going through and looking at the staring at the albatross of the, this huge debt load that is, uh, I think it's going to be a drag for years. And people have been saying that and you're, you're starting to see it happen. So I, I think that's changing the while it's a 12, whatever, 10 year story, I think it's changing the the year to year dynamic on China as well. Okay. So we'll let it end there. Thanks everybody for listening in. And uh, are we going to do this next Friday, Joe? I think we're going to do Wednesday, right? I think we're doing Wednesday. That's right. And we'll do it with the, with the forecast, which I have with a high degree of confidence that we'll get our 24 global outlook out before we, we speak on Wednesday. There you go. Are you going to have the turducken? You need to do some work, Joe, okay. today and tomorrow, tomorrow <laughs> for <once>. and Sunday, <laughs> for once, for a change. Take care, everybody. Again, next week, we'll, we'll do this on Wednesday. So take care and bye -bye. Uh, hope to continue. Bye-bye.